Agidavach. Today's daf is daf Yud Aleph, page eleven in the Hilgim Maseches Gittin, and we got up to Tanya, which is uh, quite a ways down, maybe a third of the way down on the Amud. It is. Um, you'll see a, a Rashi Aleph with parentheses. Let's give a quick count. About thirteen lines from the top of the Amud. Tanya Omar Rebbe Lazar Rebbe Yaisi. So, about 11, 12 lines from the top. Tanya Omar Rebbe Lazar Rebbe Yaisi. Let's just remind ourselves where, uh, where we got up to. So, Rebbe Shimon, in our Mishnah, had said that every document, every document that is signed by Oivdei Kechavim, by non-Jews, as long as they have real non-Jewish names, is valid. <clears throat> Including a get isha and a star shikhrer of an evid, and a freedom thing of an evid, a freedom document of an evid, right? Says Rav Shimon. You can have Gaisha signatures, as long as they have real Gaisha names. The reason for that was, as we saw in the Mepharshim, if they wouldn't have real Gaisha names, it would be confusing for people, that people might start relying on the on uh, on the uh, signatures of the actual get, but if Shimon's of the opinion, we, it doesn't really matter who signs on the get. You know why? The main thing is the Ede Mesira, the witnesses on the document as it's being handed over. So as long as there's kosher witnesses, Jewish witnesses there by the handoff of the document, he says even if it's a get isha with these non-Jewish signatures on it or a star shikher, it's still going to be valid. And now we're going to try to uh, get it. We're going to quote a brisa that seems to be in line with Reb Shimon's opinion. Time to go into the brisa. Amr Blaz Reb Yaisi. Reb Blaz Reb Yaisi says, "Kacham Reb Shimon lacham betzidayin." This is what the Reb Shimon said: "Lacham betzidayin." Lain nechul Reb Kivah Chachamim al kolish taris oylem bar kolish lavi kachavim. There's no dispute between Reb Kivah and the Chachamim. Every, no, everybody's going to agree that if you have a non-Jewish court. With non-Jewish people signing on it, even though the witnesses who signed them are not Jewish, everybody will agree it's kosher. Again, I have a document, a non-Jewish document in a non-Jewish court with non-Jewish signatures, and it shows up to a Besden. It's going to be valid. And this includes a get isha and a star shikhr. Everybody will agree, says the Brisa. Where is there a machlekes? If let's say the document is not written by an expert non-Jewish court, it's written by a hedyot, a average person. Rabbi Akiva Machshir, Rabbi Akiva holds it's still kosher. It's going to be fine. Why not? Why? Why is it going to be fine? He says because. We don't expect people to forge documents. And therefore, it's reliable. say, no, it's not going to be valid. Except for a Gedisha and a Star Shechur, they, they will be valid. Okay? Even if it's done by a Hedyot, by, done by a regular non-Jewish person, it's going to be okay. By Gittin and by freedom of slaves. All right. Now why? Why would we say, this seems to be a leniency, right? 
Notice what's happening. This seems to be a leniency on a get. His opinion is a regular document that uh, is done by a hediot, an average person, a Gaisha court, is, is not valid. The Chum say it's not valid. But a get isha would be valid written by a private person. Now, the svara here would be, the logic over here is, because by get and star shichr, we really don't care much about the writing and the signees. What we care about is the Ede Mesira, the witnesses who are, who are watching the handoff of the get from husband to wife. Sir Bishim ben Gabil, and Bishim says, that everything is going to be kosher when Yidin aren't allowed to sign. There were eras in times in, where Jews weren't allowed to sign in our regular courts. But if it's a place where a Yid is allowed to sign on a document, then we need Yidin to mamish sign on the document. Says the this itself is a problem. Because even when Jews aren't allowed to sign, we should make a gzera. It's going to get confusing for people. If we allow non-Jews to sign... It's going to be confusing. People are going to know, oh, uh, the reason why we allowed non-Jews to sign is because in this place there was a law not allowing Jews. But in a place where there were Jews and it's going to be invalid, it's very confusing for people. So why would we allow it? So Gemara says, no, Shema Bishma Machlif. People will confuse Jewish names. Asra Ba'asra Loi Machlif. But people are going to be able to figure out what city the Shtar was written in. And therefore, they'll know. In this town... Jews aren't allowed to sign, and therefore the Gaisha signature is fine. In the other town, where Yidin are allowed to sign, it's necessary to have the Yiddish signature. Ravina thought to allow Shtarais uh, in, uh, in Bezdin that were created by Armoi uh, courts. It says that it has to be done by the courts, then it's going to be kosher. But if it's a side job, if it's done by a hediot, it should not be kosher. Amar Rav, Rav says, Haishtar Parsa, if you have a document that was written in Persian, and there were witnesses who signed in Persian, Rashi says though, that we're not dealing with a official court that put it together. So it was done by hediot. So high star of parsa. If you have a you know a, a document, but it's not a, official uh, of of Persia, the Masri Niyale Ba'ape Sadi the Yisrael, and it was given over in front of Jewish witnesses. Magvinam Beimir Bnei Chari. You could use the document to collect, but only from Bnei Chari. So Bnei Chari, this is important. To I want to pause and explain what this is. Okay, literally it means free property. Now. If I borrow money and I cannot pay that back, whoever I owe the money to has a lien on my property. This is a very important halacha to know. Because it's going to come up later on on today's daf. There's a whole new Mishnah. We're going to have it on Medbez and Hashem. Very important. So usually the creditor can collect from the chasim mishubadim, property where there is a lien on it. They can't take from anything. They can't walk into my house and take my car. For example, real estate gets a lien on it. So over here we're saying if you have a Persian document written not in a Persian court, signed by Persians, so then as long as there's Jewish witnesses on the handoff, 
we're going to say it's a valid document. However, you can only you cannot collect from nechasim mishubadim. Says the Gemara of Halayad al Mikra. But these people who are the Ede Mesira, they witness the, the, the transaction of a document, they don't really know what's written in the document because they don't read Persian. So one says, yeah, but the other, then when people understand Persian, so they knew it was there. Another problem here is that, uh, as the Mepharshim explained over here, Rashi explains that Persians didn't use the regular parchment that Jews need to write on. Now, one of the things that are important about parchment is that it is impossible to erase or very, very difficult to erase. So the Persians write on documents that are more erasable and therefore it shouldn't be a valid document. So which the Gemara responds again, Bidda Afitzon, no, we're dealing with a, a document that that, that uh, covers its bases, even al pi alacha. It's coded in galnut. That's literally what it means. When it comes to a document, there's, um, there is a line that has to be put at, in the end. Um, Rashi, if you look at uh, Rashi, he says uh, about f- uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, six lines in the bottom of Rashi. Rashi says, we learn the kanina min plaini akoma the kosev mafurish tael. That this is done in the presence. Everything, every the last line says, all this was done in our presence. Everything which is written earlier, veleka and Persian documents don't have that. Sigmar says bid the mahader. Okay, we'll say we're dealing with the Persian document where they were makbid, where they put it in, and therefore they covered their bases. Says Sigmar, one second. Ihachi, if we're dealing with such a strong document. Why, we, why are we only allowing collection from Nechassim B'nei Chayrim, from Metaltalin, from movable property, we should even allow from real estate. Shemar says, Les Lakala. Yeah, Les Lakala means it's not, uh, it, it never became uh, public. Okay, which the Gemara, according to this, what you have to make a premise, call it an assumption, is the only time you're Mechayiv on Nechassim Meshubadim is if there's a curl, if it's well known, well established that the document is out there. But if it's not well established that the document is out there, the creditor is only allowed to collect from Nechassim B'nai Chayr. Period. End of that back and forth. Okay. Now the Gemara is going to ask a Shaila, a question searching for information. Reish Lakish asked a curiosity question. From his beloved brother-in-law, Rabbi Yechanan, top of Yud Aleph Amud Beis, Edim Achsumim Get. If you have a aid that signs on a get isha, Ushmaisam Kishmais and the names on the get are not specifically Jewish names. Okay, now who are we talking about? The Edim. So these are names that can be Jewish or non-Jewish. It's very interesting. There are some names that Jews have that are that became Jewish names, and they're non-Jewish names. Now, you could be talking about both in society. Okay, you could also be talking about mamish and halacha. For example, the well-known story of Shimon, Shimon Atzadik, when Alexander, the when Alexander was coming to destroy Jerusalem, one of the things Shimon promised him. If he doesn't attack Yerushalayim, is that all the boys that are going to be that that would be born 
for the next year, all Jewish boys born for the next year, they'll name them Alexander, out of respect for Alexander. So that's when the name Alexander is a Yiddish nomen. It's a Jewish name. You can give your child at a bris, Alexander. It's a Jewish name. Became a Jewish name. Now it's also a non-Jewish name. Alexander is not necessarily a Jewish name. Alex. Yeah. Could be anybody. So whatever the circumstances surrounding it is, if you have witnesses, the Rosh is, you have witnesses who sign on a get, their names, we don't know whether they're Jews or not. Mahu, what is the halacha? Could we say the get is valid or not? Amalei says, Lucas, the loose. The only names that that um, that we've seen on a get are Lucas and Luce, the Hsharnu. And we said it was kosher, meaning we assumed that it was uh, that it was uh, uh, kosher signatures. Vedavka Lucas Velus, Jews Jew, uh, these are names that is not common for a Yid to have that name. These were Ibdika Khavim Dika names. Avushmasa Akhrini, but there's other names, the Shrikhi Yasal Damaski Bishmasayu Loi, and the get is not going to be kosher. Okay. Now why? Because we're going to say um, we're going to say that it's usher. Uh, what the Drabban are going to say it's usher because we can't clarify for sure who signed on it. Was it yidn or was it not yidn? Eisvei. So Reish Lakish asked the challenging question on his brother-in-law. Gitin abom din asayam. You have a get coming from overseas. Veidim chesuv malayim, and you have witnesses signing on them. Afapishesh masayim kishmoi sevik achavim. Ksherim. It's going to be kosher. Okay. Mipnei sherev Yisrael shabuchutz laaretz. The reality is, people have legal names outside of Eretz Yisrael. And therefore, you see from over here, that even if you have a name that's similar to a name of Avdei Gechavim, it's going to be valid, which is a, that's a kasha on Rabbi Echidon. Again, Rabbi Echidon says it's only a kasha get if the names are unique to Goyim, like Lucas and Luz. So one says, no, also I'm getting tiny time, but there, there's a different reason when it comes overseas, it's kosher. Since most Yidin outside Eretz Yisrael have their, what we'll call their legal names, so there's an assumption that the get brought from outside Eretz Yisrael, since the, even the Yidin had non-Jewish names, it's this or that, right? It's either Jewish or non-Jewish. We're dealing with a get. Dealing with a get, the assumption is that there were Yidin involved, and Mamela, if you have a get that has names that um, that uh, are, uh, if you have names that that um, look like Gaiyish names outside of Israel, we can still assume that it was signed by Yid. Vigadamri, or you can say Kimasnisa by Mine that the Reish Lakish was asking the the same thing as the Brisa Uposha Lemi Masnisa, and Rabbi Yechanan answered him. From our Brisa, and he said, No, that the reason why I don't have a question on me is because I'm dealing with Chutzlaretz and outside Eretz Yisrael, even if there's Gaiyisha names, it's assumed that the signees on the get were Yidim. Okay, that's the end of that Shaila and the back and forth. Now, we have a brand new Mishnah, and I want to give a quick introduction to this Mishnah. Here we go. Since the beginning of our Masechta, we've been dealing with a case where a man shows up from outside Eretz Yisrael, 
from a different city, a different town, inside Israel to outside. Bottom line is, you have a person showing up to deliver a get. Okay. How does delivering a get work? So let's talk for a minute. The Torah says, a husband writes a get to a wife, v'nasan biyada, and he places it into her hand. Let me ask you all a question. What happens if you have a husband and wife that are not interested in looking at each other, being in the same room, talking to each other, and they still want to get? But they, they're not willing to see each other. Or what happens if you have a husband that is way overseas and he's not able to get to get to his wife? Or how about this? You have a husband who real, who, who's childless. He realizes he's in danger. His, li- his life's going to be over shortly. And he doesn't want his wife to become a Yavama. So in order to preempt that, he writes a get to her. But he can't be in the same place as her. Are there options? It says in the you got to hand it to her. Do we have options? The answer is certainly. What are the options? So number one is he can appoint a messenger to send a get. He can send a get with a messenger. And tell the messenger to give it to his wife. Number two is, his wife can also make a messenger. So in other words, you can have a husband who appoints a shliach leholacha, which means a shliach of bringing the get. And the wife can make a messenger, appoint a man to be a shliach of kabbalah, of acceptance. And all you need is that the two shluchim meet up. And the husband and wife never need to be in the same room. Okay? So again, step number one of introduction of this Mishnah is the, the concept of shlichus. That we're able to appoint messengers. The husband can appoint a messenger, the wife can appoint a messenger. Okay, that's step number one. There's one more detail before we start the Mishnah. And this is a detail that's even separate from Gittin. And the concept is called Zachin Adam Shaloi Bifanav. You can accept something, bizaycha in something, even if they're not there. So let me give you an example. Somebody says to me, you know, I really want to give a gift to Yankel. And I don't want him to change his mind. So I say, give me the gift and I'll be Yankel's messenger. Does that work? The answer is yes. I can kind of, ready, ready for this? This is where it's going to get tricky. This is where we get into the Mishnah. I can self-appoint myself to be a messenger for Yankel as long as there's no downside for Yankel. When Yankel appoints me to be his extension to accept a gift, does he have to tell me? Or do we say, I can be Mezaka in it. I can take ownership for Yankel even if he's not here. Because I know it's only working to his advantage. And if he knew about it, he'd ask me to be a shliach. Now, what would I gain by this? I'll tell you what I gain. If I become an extension of Yankel, get ready for this. As soon as the gifter puts it in my hand, he cannot change his mind. 
Because it's as if he already gave the ownership over to the uncle. I'm not a messenger who he could retract. If I become an extension of the uncle, because he cannot back out. Let's give an example, and now we're going to get into our Mishnah. Okay? This is what our, this is going to be the first cases of our Mishnah. Mishnah is going to say, if you have a husband who says to a messenger, take this get to my wife. Can the messenger think to himself, oh, I want to be the one who accepts the get for the wife. And this way the husband cannot retract. When, once the husband gives it to me, it's as if the, hus- the wife already has it. He can't back out. Is there zakhan on the on behalf of the wife? Is divorce always a completely good thing for the wife? If it's always a completely good thing, then as soon as I get it, the husband can't back out. So we'll say not necessarily. But what about a document freeing a servant? As soon as the master gives the document to the messenger, can the messenger think to himself, it's now the servant's. I'm accepting it for the servant. And now if the master wants to say, yeah, I don't want to free him, the messenger could say, tough luck. Sorry, Charlie. I'm not giving it back because I already accepted it on behalf of the servant. It's completely to his benefit. All right? So those are the two topics and concepts we need to keep in mind as we go through the sugya. Let's get going. Zok the Mishnah. If somebody says to a shliach, a messenger, please give this get to my wife. Or, Ushtar Shikhrer, this letter of freedom, Abdi to my servant. So either you say to a man, please give this get to my wife, or you say to a man, please give this document of freedom to my servant. The owner may, can, in both cases, back out. As long as the document wasn't handed over to the wife, or the Evet. Okay, obviously, Rashi points out, from the fact that the owner, that, that the master or husband can back out, is a proof that a divorce is not always advantageous to a wife, and freedom is not always advantageous to a servant. Let's keep going. Divrei Rebbe Meir's opinion, Rebbe Meir, Racham, Racham, say, Begit, Enosh, when it comes to a get isha, then you could back out. Avol, but not by freeing a servant. Because as soon as he gave it the, the letter of freedom to the messenger, the messenger acquires it for the servant. And you can't do anything to somebody's detriment unless they asked you to. Okay. Here's how it works. Why is it a uh, why is it advantageous for a person to be free, a servant to be freed? Because a master doesn't necessarily need to feed his servant. Now a servant could say, "Listen, I need to eat. I'm going to go work elsewhere to, for, to get food." But a master can say, "I'm not feeding you." Okay, so the servant will then go and get his own food, and the master's loss on the time and effort he put into that. But a husband can never say, I'm not feeding my wife. So it's never to the advantage of a woman to be divorced, completely to her advantage. Very, very nice. It's advantageous 
for the Ebed because the owner technically does not need to feed him. But guess what? If let's say the owner was a coin, the Ebed could eat Shuma. Now that he's freed, he cannot eat Shuma. So it's not advantageous to him to be freed necessarily. No, it's not considered a, not advantageous. It, the reason why an Ebed's allowed to eat is because he's in, under the jurisdiction, the domain of of the master, but it's not ligging in the hokus truma that he's allowed to eat. Now, this lumdus, the Gemara will get into. Okay. There's a lot to unpack on this Mishnah, and that's what the Gemara is going to help us do. Yosef Ravuna, Rabbi Yosef Bar Yosef, come Rabbi Yermia. Ravuna, Rabbi Yosef Bar Yosef, was sitting in front of Rabbi Yermia, Yosef, Rabbi Yermia, come a standing. And Rabbi Yermia, the Rebbe, was chopping uh, a drimmel. He was dozing off with the Tamidim in front of him. Okay, so the two Tamidim, the Rebbe's uh, getting a little uh, doze. He's snoozing, and they start talking to each other. Let's learn out from the opinion of the Rabbanan or Mishnah. If somebody, if let's say Reuven owes Shimon money, and he's not paying, Levi could come and take the property from Reuven to pay back Shimon. Meaning Levi's the third party; he's not involved. But he can go and take the property away because it's a schus for Shimon. Shimon needs, uh, is worthy of, of uh, being repaid. So by Levi taking it, that's a schus for Shimon. who was talking to Ravuna, he says, uh, uh, Well, is this true even in a place where it's going to be to the disadvantage of others? Is that really true? Omar Lai in, he says, yeah, even if it's going to come out to the detriment of, uh, come out to the detriment of others. Now, how's, if Levi collects the property, how's it a detriment to somebody else? I'll tell you why. Because by him collecting the property for Shimon, granted it's a help to Shimon, but what if Reuven has other people he owes money to? Now that Levi took the property, those other creditors cannot, don't have property to take from. So the Zach and Adam Shleibafanov work even when other people will lose out. And Ravuna said, yeah. So Adahachi, as they were having this conversation, Iyasar Burab Yirmiya started waking up from his nap. Omar Luhu. And he said, Dardiki, young Yeshiva Bachar. Hachi Omar Vichin Vichin and Tadosa Taifis the Bachar Makam Shechav Lachir. If somebody takes property on behalf of the lender, when it's a Chav Lachirim, when other, other lenders, are going to lose out like Kana, then the, the the lender who it's taken for does not acquire it right away. And other lenders still have rights to that property. Then time our Mishnah say, you're going to say, ah, what about your proof from our Mishnah, the Chacham? You should know. If anybody says, give this document, it's as if he asked them to go acquire it. Okay. And therefore over here, the master Mamish um, the, asked him to go give it over to the servant. Therefore, it's not considered like he's taking in a place where it's a chav lachir. So, Hamnuna, I'm sorry, Rabbi Yirmiya is making this discrepancy between our case, where the agent was asked, the messenger was asked to bring it. That's not going to be considered chav lachirim, and the other cases where it will be. Amr of says, If Levi grabs the property on behalf of Shimon in a way where it's going to be to the detriment of others. Me, Shalikit is a payah, a person who collects payah. 
Omar and he says, I'm collecting pay. See, I'm not poor. But I know that the corner of the field has to go to the poor. I know Yankel's poor. So I take the pay on behalf of Yankel. It's Yankel's. You have to give it, and you could give it, to any ani, the first ani that you meet. Now why? Because peya is fit to be given to any poor person. By me saying I'm giving it to Yankul, by definition every other poor person is losing out. Because they can't collect it anymore. So comes along the Chacham and they say, you can't own it, take it for Yankul. Because by you taking it for Yankul, others, other Aniim are going to lose. Therefore he, you give it to any ani, the first the first ani that you meet. Amar Amemar Vitemar of Papa, Amemar. Some say Rav Papa hold, top of tomorrow's daf. Tumalahi. Maybe this is not the Machaikas of Lazar and the Khum. Alkalikam Rabbi Lazar Hasam Ella the Migu di Boy Mafkulhulanikse. The reason why by Paya there's an opinion that somebody could go and collect it for Yankul is because the person collecting it can make themselves poor. You could, as you're collecting, right before you're collecting, you could say, all my property is Hefker. Now I'm also poor. So now I'm worthy of taking the Leket. And now I, it's mine, so I can give it over to him. So now he's poor and he's fit to take the Peah. And since he's capable of accepting it for himself, he could take it for Yankul too. But over here, where somebody lent money and you want to gather the property on behalf of the creditor, you have no skin in the game. You have no way in. And therefore, Migu won't apply. And maybe we'll say that you cannot acquire it for Shimon. says you're not let it gather for the poor, which means we don't gather peya on behalf of a specific ani. See, sometimes you want to do a mitzvah. It's a very important idea. Sometimes you want to do a mitzvah. You think you're being helpful and you're really being de- detrimental to others. Our mitzvahs are not really mitzvahs. But over here, again, when it comes to gathering the property for, on behalf of the lender, the Chum will say that maybe you could. Maybe you could gather it. There's no pasta getting in the way. What does Rabbi Lazar do with lay Selakit? He holds you could do it. So what does he do with this pasuk? It's letting us know that if you have a poor person that owns a field, he also has to leave over payah. And the payah that he leaves over, he's not allowed to take. So that's what the Pesach means, Laisilaki doesn't mean that a rich person shouldn't collect it on behalf of a poor person. It's not the issue. The issue is a poor person who owns a field and leaves over payah, Laisilaki. He himself is not allowed to collect Bottom line is, we're at the two dots. Bottom line is that we have no raya whether the machlekes between Rablaz Dacham is the same uh, is the same machlekes that we had earlier. We'll hold it here for today and Bezem tomorrow. We'll pick up from the two dots, approximately eight lines from the top of Dafir Bays at nine thirty a.m. Hopefully from Yerushalayim. Have a wonderful, wonderful week, everyone.